Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Hello, friends. I am so thrilled about today's interview. I had the honor of interviewing Lama Rod Owens. Many of you likely know who Lama Rod is, but I'll tell you a little bit more about who he is. Lama Rod Owens is an author, activist, and authorized Lama or Buddhist teacher in the Kaigyu School of Tibetan Buddhism. Lama Rod is the co-founder of Bhumisvara, a Buddhist tantric practice and study community. Lama Rod is a visiting teacher with Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME, a visiting teacher with Natural Dharma Fellowship and the Brooklyn Zen Center. Lama Rod has been a faculty member for the Harvard Graduate School of Education's Professional Education Program in Mindfulness for Educators and has served as a guest faculty member for the school's course Mindfulness for Educators. We talk about all the things and I hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. Lama Rod, thank you for saying yes to being here with me and to having this conversation and time together. Absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to, to share space with you. And I was looking over Love and Rage earlier. It's, I've had it for a while and read it and was revisiting it when I was preparing for this, this podcast. And thinking about the first question I wanted to ask, and I'd love to know how your heart is doing, how your heart is feeling at this time. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are two ways that I like to answer questions like that. I think the first way is that to say that I'm doing really well, actually, that I feel very grateful, actually, to be alive right now and grateful to be doing the work that I'm doing and grateful to, you know, just to have the resources that I have right now so like I'm always like thankful and grateful for that but then on the second hand you know I would say that while everything is great on one hand there's still this tremendous amount of labor that's happening on my part to hold space for so much of what's happening right now for folks you know to hold space for the grief and the trauma um, and everything so so that's that's taxing labor is exhausting labor so that part of my like my heart is you know just really tired you know and full of gratitude at the same time that resonates a lot I was on a walk earlier thinking about that and holding space and in particular thinking about you and the work and how much energy and output and so I'm I'm curious to know how you're taking care of your heart given that you are offering so much to us. Yeah. Um, how are you taking care of your heart? Boundaries. Like I am, I think as a lot of people are beginning to realize I'm saying no a lot. <laughs> and I'm like not as public and visible in ways that I have been in the past year or so. Um, because it's really about creating the conditions for me to have the space to be well. Um, I think a lot of folks right now are spiraling 
you know, I think it's easy for people to choose the, the pettiness and the drama and then expect you to get involved. And what I'm having to do is say no. You know, actually, I, have, I can't get involved. You know, and I think that's disappointing for people. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's even more disappointing for people when people are coming and ask, asking for legitimate help, you know, and then I say, well, I've already explained how to do this in a book or in a podcast or, you know, on my website or on social media. Like I have all this available. Yeah. You have to choose to do work now, you know, and I'm just having to remind people that I'm not here to do your work. I'm here to show you how to do work and to offer the methods, but I can do your work for you. And I think people are just like struggling with that. Mm-hmm. But those are the things I have to do to protect myself, you know, mm-hmm. because my role is really about holding space for the world, you know, and that seems like a very, it seems very non-active or it seems very passive. For people, but I think that work of holding spaces is, is tremendously important right now. And I'm invested in that. You know, mm-hmm. we need people who can just touch the ground and stay on the ground, stay on the earth, and remind people there is earth that's holding us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do now. Yeah, I love this boundaries. Um, and in my experience, saying no hasn't always felt easy or good. Um, <laughs> There was a year where I said no all the time to things. And I was like, I'm, this isn't me. It was also like the organization I was working in. I was saying no to yeah. a lot of things. It was the conditions that were in place. And I'm really glad to hear you're saying no and, yeah. and you're setting boundaries and what you uplifted about what it means to hold space for the world, like the immense amount of energy that goes into holding space for the world and that you don't want to do other people's work. Yeah. You, have, you do have a ton of resources. You've put the medicine yeah. out yeah. and people have to take it, yeah. make that choice. Exactly. Yeah. I am curious to know about your, I was thinking about your, your ancestral, your bloodline, but you can answer this however you'd like. I was curious to know about how your lineage has informed um, your experience of, of love and rage or anger. I mean, yeah, love and rage or anger and love you've written about both in the in the book yeah you know it's i mean it's coming from when i think about lineage i think about ancestry i think about continuums what am i a part of you know um and we're all a part of something even if we don't even get it you know and Mm -hmm. so when i do this kind of examination work and discernment i'm looking at how i'm showing up as an expression of a line of labor and people and beings who spanned, you know, countless millennia into the past, you know, and will probably continue to expand into the future. And Mm -hmm. I'm a part of something that has survived, you know, and developed ways of surviving, which, you know, may or may not be great, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like functional things but they were still methods used to ensure that I was able to be born, you know, in this time and place. And so anger was one of those things, right? Anger has been such an important part of how I've located myself. You know, that anger comes from the deep hurt, Mm -hmm. the heartbreak, Mm -hmm. 
what's mm-hmm. meant to survive in a world that has not been so completely friendly and welcoming for my ancestry, at least my like more recent ancestry, you know, in this country over the past three or 400 years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that anger has been a testament. It's, it's been um, a narrative of the ways in which my people have survived systematic annihilation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and how that anger is important for us because it's the anger means that there's something wrong right and there's harm being done and my anger is always reminding me in the same way my anger our anger has reminded all those who came before me and my ancestry and my that something's mm-hmm. wrong and therefore we have an ethical responsibility to ask what's wrong and to get to the root of that, that, that harm. Yeah, I appreciated how you, in Love and Rage, how you write about anger and hurt and what you just mentioned and that anger is an indication that we've been hurt. It makes me think a lot about grief and you also written about that as well. Yeah. And what it means to get in touch with that hurt, um, which, which may be feels different than the anger and also calls us into different work and practice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I want to read, it's the beginning of chapter two, speaking of hurt and, and anger, it's woundedness and rage um, because I have a question about anger. Mm-hmm. And this section says my anger is old, personal mm-hmm. and dependable. It is older than me yet younger than the youngest child I know. It is so old that most of us no longer believe that it was ever born to begin with. It is the primordial deity that we come to worship, thinking that somehow it will be the revolutionary leader who will set us free. Mm -hmm. And yet it is also our jealous master. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to speak about that, the revolutionary part of anger and like how it can be the jealous master and entrap us. Exactly. Like anger has launched many revolutions. (laughs) and uprisings in history, I think that's the the basic spark, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's like, it reminds me of Fannie Lou Hamer when she said, you know, you have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? And the anger reminds us that we're sick and tired, like we're just pissed, (laughs) you know? And we can't feel anything else, we can't do anything else. And that's gonna drive us into action, right? You know, and, you know, and when I was coming up, you know, in my like more intense full-time activist days, like we were really invested in anger and I was too. And then I began to see, oh, like this is extremely depleting, right? And when I started feeling unwell, you know, and started like really feeling a compromise or a disruption in the work that I was doing, people were just started blaming me. They were like, well, you're just not committed enough. But I was like, no, I don't feel well. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have energy. I, I don't feel focus anymore, you know? And I knew back then that was probably the symptoms and signs of depression, right? Coming mm-hmm. up. That's the depleting aspect of anger. So when we launch our revolutions, our revolutions have to find the love somewhere because like nothing can be sustained through anger. You know, anger is a secondary emotion that's asking us to pay attention to something else, which is the hurt. Like if we don't take care of the hurt, you know, or for instance, another way to put it is like if we if we use our anger to create revolution and if we're not dealing with the hurt, then we're just gonna recreate the causes and conditions 
yeah. you know, that call the revolution and, you know, into reality, right? And we don't really get that. Like we, as we overthrow things, our potential to recreate those things that we overthrew is still very high. Mm-hmm. You, know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's guaranteed, actually, you know, that we will recreate the things that we overthrew if we don't get to the root, you know? And I think that's the real labor of abolitionist work right. as well to get to the root. Not just like to get rid of prisons, to get rid of police, it's a- actually asking ourselves, okay, what is this deep fundamental trauma that is creating our need to be policed? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and, and, all, and all the other systems of violence that emerge from that policing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I appreciated the the what you just named and the part in Love and Rage where you're talking about this, um, our social movements and an addiction, and you didn't use that language in here, but to anger, like being so connected to anger that we can't center love as we work to create social change. And what are you seeing as far as antidotes to that, are you in spaces or are you aware of spaces where, where people, I mean, you hold spaces like this are centering love mm-hmm. um, and attending to that hurt instead of continuing the cycle of anger mm-hmm. in the sense of the anger will lead to replicating the, the same things we're, we're working to interrupt or dismantle. What, yeah. what are you seeing? Absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of like care-centered organizing beginning to happen because people are beginning to understand that like, we have to care for ourselves if we want to see the change that we want to see. You know, so I'm seeing more healing circus, circles happening online, just like all over the place. I'm seeing uh, more grieving circles, like grieving ceremonies happening for folks, you know, um, as well. I think people are connecting the dots. I mean, it's not this massive movement that's happening, but enough of us are really understanding the importance of centering care and change work, you know, right now. And I think that we're in this period and we're continuing to move deeper into a period where we understand that like the trauma, the hurt just doesn't go away. Like we just can't continue to bypass it. We can't distract ourselves any longer because it's everything now, you know, Mm -hmm. everything, the climate, it's political stuff, it's, you know, financial institutions, you know, it's our interpersonal relationships. Everything is being disrupted right now. And then the only solution is for us to actually start asking, okay, how do we care for ourselves? You know, the care provides the foundation for us to, to move into addressing the roots of real systematic violence. If we're not talking about care, if we're not talking about love, um, then we're not talking about the real change that needs to happen moving forward. Yeah, I, I totally feel what you said and and agree um, so much with with what you named. And I it's I've been really angry over the past few days yeah. <laughs> about the, the lack of care. And then yesterday I said, you're grieving, Michelle. That's what's happening, yeah. right? You're yeah. you're sad about the loss that you can see and the, the loss you anticipate happening, yeah. the losses. And so it was helpful for me to say you're grieving and, and yes, you're angry and I'm worried about the future. And I'm curious, like, how do you make meaning of this moment or mm-hmm. what's unfolding right mm-hmm. now? And I don't know if I would imagine, I don't want to project mm-hmm. that you may feel concerned too about mm-hmm. the future and lack yeah. of care, yeah. but how do you make meaning of this? And 
hold it and hold the world in the way you do? This is a big question. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, first, for me, I see this as a time of change and transition. And transition is always painful. You know, it's it's painful because we forget change is a thing, (laughs) you know? Because we start we start buying into permanence, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the things that we know from our practice is that like everything is always changing, everything's impermanent, right? Um, and so when we start experiencing this change, it's just a dis- a disruption in who we think we are, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that seems a real suffering that we're dealing with is like as things change, we have to figure out who we are now. Because the sense of ego, the sense of self has used the illusion of permanence to create stability for itself. You know? mm-hmm. And this is, I think this is why over the past year, so many people have like completely reevaluated like what they do to earn money and where they live and, you know, in the relationships, you know, and, you know, and just all these things are up for consideration now, you know, because we're so disrupted. And so that's, you know, this is this is this change is something that we have to kind of get with as you know as Octavia Butler has written in the parable books right you know God mm-hmm. is change you know that's a hard teaching to be with that's a real teaching I think right. she places in that theology she places you know the intensity of change in a really tangible you know, kind of place that we can actually touch it and feel it and taste it, you know, and that's intense. That's overwhelming because God is like everything now. God is right there in front of you. God is inside of you. And God is asking us to do labor, not to sit around and enjoy blessings, but to change, you know, like Mm -hmm. if we're not changing with the world, then we're just going to be suffering. Yeah. That's why I see, I see people kind of like, getting really rooted and saying, no, this is who I am. I'm not going to change. And that's going to end up being really traumatic. You know, it's going to be an experience of trauma you mm-hmm. know, that deepens over time. And then, then you just wall yourself away from reality. And so you start living in a separate reality than the rest of the world. And that's when you get real dangerous. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think we're, I think we're just kind of seeing that, <laughs> you know, particularly with, vaccination rates and people wanting to wear masks and this and that and like with people still holding on to these conspiracies about how Trump really won the election like people are just rooted and that's going to be nothing but violence down the road violence against themselves violence Mm -hmm. against us who are actually trying to do the work the labor and so when I think about the future from here you know it's not that it's not that I'm, I'm not extremely excited but I am hopeful the future because like I am choosing to notice the ways in which people are waking up to the world you know and to how things are to systems they're perpetuated harm they're developing language when you develop language language begins you know the deconstruction of systems of violence right and this is why we Mm -hmm. this is why James Baldwin always said you have to read yeah. You know, and, and even Toni Morrison, like in the great, our great prophets always said, you know, you have to study and read and understand history, you know, to bring things into language, you know, and like people are, de- are defining and naming the things that we're struggling with. And that's the first step, you know, um, 
So I, you know, and on one hand, like, yeah, that's what I also believe. But on the second hand, also, I'm really drawing on this really fundamental teaching, which is that, yeah, this, and this is a dream as well. Mm. You know, this is a dream. And I know that this life is just an experience. This world is just an experience that I'm having, you know, that it's as real as everything else is real, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I have to balance the anxiety of being in this body in this time with this deeply held belief that this is also an experience that I'm moving through. And this experience of being in the world in this moment is not my home. I'm not going to be here forever, you know, but I'm also committed to alleviating the discomfort that this time and place creates for all of us, even if it is just a dream. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and the dream, and you know, when you when you, you when you're really invested in that teaching of the dream, it doesn't mean that you stop caring about right. the world, but the world gets a little more spacious. You know, it's 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 not so, as we would call it, um, materialistic in a way that is like, it's, it's not that this is it and there's nothing else. This is just one experience, you know, that's happening, you know, but over time, you know, you know, as we practice through our practice, our meditation, our yoga and so forth, we, our minds begin to expand, it begins to open and we begin to have a sense of the multiple things that are happening in one mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And we say, oh, this is just one thing. You know, there are multiple planes, multiple dimensions happening. You know, mm-hmm. and some of these places, it's not a crisis, <laughs> you right. know, um, but where we're at, yeah, you know, and we have the tools that we need to really like work and tend to the crisis, but we have to choose to do that work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you said earlier, mm-hmm. you don't want to do the work for people, or you're not going to do the work for exactly. other people. You really can't actually. Can't. Exactly. <laughs> well, because people have to consent to freedom. Right. I can't drag people towards freedom. Like, I mean, Harriet, you know, I think about Harriet Tubman, right? You know, who was just like, you don't get a choice anymore. Like, if you're with me, you're going to get free, you know, because if you turn around, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's one way to look at it, right? You know, but I just believe that once you choose to start working towards this kind of both relative and ultimate freedom, you have to stop giving yourself a choice mm-hmm. to, for, to be free or not, you know, mm-hmm. because the only choice is I will be free. Right. And then that aspiration has to shape everything mm-hmm. in your life towards that freedom. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you have to be, you have to, you have to have the courage to make that aspiration to say freedom or nothing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. What do you think um, gave you the courage to say yes to I, freedom? It's, it's, you know, it, it goes back to Fanny Hamer. I was like sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> you know, I was just really like, I just stopped. I just couldn't believe anymore that, that this was it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Right. You know, even growing up in church. You know, I was like, well, this is, the theology is too simple 
for me. It's like, you live a good life, then you die, you go to heaven. You know, and I was like, well, it doesn't explain a whole bunch of stuff that I'm experiencing, you know, in the world. So I, I was craving complexity, you know, like I wanted complexity. And when I start thinking about freedom, I'm entering into a kind of complexity mm-hmm. that, that I celebrate because it's just the complexity helps me to understand there are multiple paths to get free, not just one, you know, and that we have to choose the path that we're going to do and just do it. And just, as I always say, just do the program, you know, mm-hmm. um, and understanding that like at any moment we're going to die. Right. You know, right. and that at the moment, that's the moment of my death. I want to know that I did everything that I could to get free, to help others get free. Um, because regret is a really hard thing to carry, you know, into the next life, you know, into the next transition, right? So those are the things that motivate me around freedom, you know. And plus, the more you work there, the more experience of freedom that you get. And you're like, oh, this is this is great, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. The spaciousness is freedom for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the 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 capacity to to not react to everything that arises, but to have the space to respond to what needs to be responded to. Like right. that's that's like enough for me to feel as if I have agency in the world right now. You know, and that's one of the things I'm grateful for at this moment is that like I have a greater capacity to choose my responses instead of just unconsciously reacting to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I talked, you know, we from the reading, you know, where I talk about, you know, how anger becomes, you know, the master, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that anger is the master because we haven't figured out how to respond to it. You know, we're just habitually reacting to anger, like anything else in the mind, you know, any emotion, we're just reacting, any thought. But when we start responding to anger, then anger takes on a different positionality. Anger becomes the friend, the teacher, is we're able to hold space for it and say, okay, this is how I'm choosing to be in relationship to my anger. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, just saying, I'm pissed off, I'm going to whoop someone's ass. Right. So the anger has you. Mm-hmm. you know? And I tell people too, that like, if I know how to piss you off, I know how to control you. Because if I can piss you off, more than likely, you don't have the agency to not react to the anger. So if I can get you pissed off, I can get you reacting. When you start reacting habitually, then you're not focusing on mm-hmm. things, you know. Um, I can manipulate that, you know. So this is why anger, agency over anger is so important for us right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it explains so much about the toxicity and the culture and the things we're seeing yeah. play out and yeah. um, unattended anger, unresolved anger, not investigating what the anger is made of mm-hmm. and harming each other in all the ways we are now yeah and we don't know how to do the emotional labor for ourselves and if we can't do it for ourselves we can't do it for the collective Mm -hmm. you know so a lot of folks are just like they're just really like repressed and shut down and not able to be in relationship to the anxiety or the hurt or the anger or whatever is their experience in the moment um and you won't ever be happy like that, you know? And being, ha- being happy isn't like my goal. You know, yeah. it's a nice byproduct of the practice 
Absolutely, but I'm not practicing to be happy. I'm practicing to get free. And to be free means that I'm doing emotional labor for myself by really just learning to name and to experience my emotions. Mm-hmm. I have like 18 questions, but I'm going to ask one because that just, I mean, this is how yeah. it is. Um, this is great. Yeah, you were earlier talking about disruption and, and change. And it made me think of how are you being asked to change at this time? Like what is, I was going to say spirit, but however you think of what is spirit calling you to change or transform inside you or around you? I mean, you do all of this work, but I was really thinking about you. Yeah. You know what? I think one of the big things that I'm working on in terms of change is having the courage to really take care of myself, you know, and not to be a martyr, mm-hmm. you know, I think martyrdom is so seductive and sexy for many of us, you know, but many of us don't have the capacity to be a martyr. Yeah. You know, martyrdom means that like, I give my life to something with no regrets, <laughs> you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think that it's really simple and it's really powerful and, But what I'm being called to do is to say, no, actually, my work is to survive, Mm. is to have longevity, Mm -hmm. you know, to to become an elder, you know. And I just think that what I'm being called into is eldership, you know, to demonstrate what it looks like to grow older to continue to do labor, to do work of freedom, but also to grow older and to become a resource for people who are maybe just beginning the work, you know? And I just, I don't, I feel as if we don't have enough people really embracing eldership, you know? Because people say, you know, when people think of eldership, it's just, oh, I'm just old. You know, when I think of eldership, it's like, no, you have a narrative. That needs to be shared because that's that's what it means to be a part of ancestry and lineage right it's like i'm choosing <clears throat> i'm consenting to offer what i know in order to help others coming up you know i see a lot of people who aren't doing that work but i also have to to point out that like we're not supporting our elders also to offer that back mm-hmm. to us you know so another part of what i feel as if what i'm being called so change around is my relationship to my elders now. Like, how do I become much more supportive right now um, for those elders? So, yeah, you know, I mean, there are other things too, but um, you know, I just think that, you know, I'm beginning to write my next book and something that's, that's I, I feel like I'm being really deeply called to do is, is just to like go much deeper yeah. I've gone before to be exposed and vulnerable in a way, you know, because that's how the teachings arise for me is through this kind of personal reflection, mm-hmm. you know, but if I want people to go deep inside themselves, I have to show them how to do it, you know, which is hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard to do, to break those barriers, to break those, those cycles of trauma, to start mm-hmm. telling the truth. You know, uh, and it's hard, exhausting work. It's emotional work. It's also physical work. Right. You know, to to move deeper into that, you know. So, 
but I can't do any of this without care. I can't do any of this without setting the boundaries, you know, because, um, you know, people will consume you. Like they'll like, they'll, you know, they'll consume you dry if you let them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then we have to say no, of course. Right. And then of course being black, right. Part of like what we struggle with, part of the trans historical trauma that we're struggling with is that we have been reduced to the physical, mm-hmm. you know, so often that the physical with no agency. So right. basically what that means is like, I don't have the right to say no, mm-hmm. you know, that I should always be doing something, you know, that I should always be proving I have a right to take up space and to take up resources, you know, that's, that's anti-Blackness, right? You mm-hmm. know, and that's, that's, that's an expression of chattel slavery trauma you know, and like, I have to like confront that really like at the times that I have to sit and just take a break and say, you know what, I am not being lazy. You know, I am taking care of myself. Like I have, I am overworking. I am letting people take advantage of me because I care so much about the work. Like those are the things that I'm really having to sit with, you know, as I create more space for myself to be well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just get tired of it like you get tired of those narratives and you know you get to a point where like you know at least for me I say well you know you can call me whatever you need to call me <laughs> you know if I'm not living up to yeah. the expectation of labor right now mm-hmm. you know call mm-hmm. me what you because that's not about me actually right yeah that I mean everything you said I'm sitting with and present to as and the, what you named about people will consume you and, and they will. Um, and what it means when we engage in that and we're participating in our own, I mean, it's from internalized racial oppression and we're participating in our own enslavement then mm-hmm. in what you said and, and the power of, of saying no. And, and also what you named about not being a martyr, like that's not why you're here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're clear about it. That's not yeah. what you're up to in this yeah. lifetime. Yeah, and, and some people are absolutely. Yeah. Like there are people who are here to be martyrs, but for many of us, it's not about that anymore. No. It's harder to actually to continue the work over a long period of time. Like mm-hmm. it really is. And I, I really love how you spoke about becoming an elder and yeah. our elders now and our relationship. I'm, I'm speaking, I'm generalizing, but we, I don't think we take care of our elders either um, or listen or think they're wise, right? And, and it made me think of a question about your younger self yeah. and, you know, from where you are now, what you might say to a younger version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm given what you know, what you understand, what you've experienced? Yeah, you know, I would tell my younger self, like, I would just tell them, you know, you won't believe (laughs) what you'll have to do, you know, to get where you need to be. But everything is extremely planned and organized, that there, there are resources ready, there are beings and people ready to support you. You know, because often as a young person, I just felt like everything was in chaos. Like I was making decisions. I didn't know why I was making decisions. I was having these experiences that no one else was experiencing. And I was kind of like being told all these things about how I wasn't 
focused enough or good enough or how I was wasting things that I was given. And now, like, at being at this point, it was like, no, actually, I was being led somewhere, you know, that wasn't about just reproducing the same stuff everyone else is reproducing for themselves. It was mm-hmm. cutting out a new path. And I would just tell myself that, like, just stay true. Stay true. Like, trust trust the, like, nonsensical decisions that you're making. Trust your gut. You know, make mistakes. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. And just keep, like, moving forward. Keep loving people. Keep trying to love yourself. Right? Have mm-hmm. fun. Because there are many times where, <laughs> you know, I'm not having fun. But right. have fun when fun is there to be had and know that this is a part of, of the liberation work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. The offering to your younger, younger mm-hmm. self and the trusting the path, um, which I think can be a challenge, is a challenge for many yeah. <laughs> to trust the, the path and where they're going and to make mistakes and recover mm-hmm. um, and continue to move, move forward. So I, I love that. And I remember I first was in space with you, you were leading a, you led a meditation and gave a talk in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in the back. I didn't, it was the first time I'd, I'd read, read radical Dharma, uh-huh. but it was the first time I'd been in sp- like physical space with you. And I thought, who, how did this person come to be? Who is this person? Um, because of the realness, humanness, humor, and the um, spirit and the meditation you offered about the points of refuge. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. That's what you offered to us. And I was so struck. Uh, so I love your answer to your younger self and the path, because I was totally thinking about how did, mm-hmm. how did this happen? Um, not that it was a surprise. I was just curious. Like yeah. I'm always curious with spiritual teachers, how they, how they became a spiritual teacher. Right. Because many of us don't know that's the path, right? And and where we're going to land. And so that's the place it was coming from of of what led this person to this place at this time to be teaching in this way. Do you ever wonder that about yourself? Every day. Like, like that's (laughs) like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I think about this every day, particularly when I'm writing, you know, like, how did this happen? You know, like I know because I know for a fact it was confusing for so many people in my life because they told me, Mm. you know, why are you doing this? Like, I'm concerned. And I would just say, I don't know. It just feels right. And I think for me, I have to really kind of offer credit to my ancestors, you know, and to, to a lot of unseen beings who really held me through this life. I mean, I just, I just have such strong connections to deities, but also to my ancestors, particularly my ancestors who I knew in life, who passed on when I was younger, who mm-hmm. I just, over time, really began to feel like they were just present and there. And I was able to, you know, over time in my practice to really connect even more deeply. And I said, oh, I'm always being held. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wish people would trust that more themselves like you're you're being held you're you're being looked out after like but you have to trust that a little more um I know that's a hard teaching for folks it was a hard teaching for me but I would say the last thing I would say to that I just think that I've always seen 
the world differently, mm-hmm. you know, and it was through spiritual practice that helped me to put language to that. You know, I just see things differently. I experience things differently. And it always just made me feel weird and marginalized, you know, until I started to be able to articulate that and write about it, right. you know, because what I was really like really in tune to was complexity. Like I just mm-hmm. understood complexity. Like I could always just see all the sides of something, which is why it's so hard for me to make a decision. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like I yeah. see all the different parts of this, you know, and I had to learn how to, to really, I don't want to say control, but I had to really learn how to hold space for that tendency to see everything at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can make it challenging to, to make a decision when mm-hmm. you can hold multiple truths yeah. at the same time. And, exactly. and yet we have to make decisions, right. And act yeah. and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not always the best decision, but there's but a decision has to be made. Right. And that's part of it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get it right all the time. Is there a, an ancestor that you want to name and call into this space? You mentioned your ancestors mm-hmm. and when you were mm-hmm. younger, those who transitioned. Yeah. Well, I want to, you know, you know, call my, um, my great grandmother, Joy. Uh, Williams, who has been such a strong ancestor for me, um, and who herself is really transitioning right now into another higher genetic energy level, energetic state, rather, you know, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, just want to like appreciate the ways that she has cared for me in life, you know, when she was alive, she lived to be over 100. Um, wow. And the way that she has been taking care of me and, and my ancestors mm-hmm. since her passing. Yeah. Thank you, Joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, and I, 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 I offer her name too, because I want her to know that it's okay, mm-hmm. you know, to continue on the path, you know, towards freedom and liberation, you yeah. know, that everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that's part of the work and my work around ancestors. Like it's, we're in a collaboration. It's like, right. you know, they're helping us and we're also having to help them. We remember mm-hmm. them, we support them. We allow them to help. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be experiencing the resources that I'm experiencing without the love and the guidance of the ancestors. And I didn't like this cliche, like, you know, everyone's doing ancestor practice, but like in a real legitimate, tangible way. When I talk about ancestors, I can name my ancestors. I can name the energies. Mm -hmm. I can be with energies. I can be in collaboration with those energies. Right. You know, um, and that's a real thing for me. Not just speculative. It's, it's like, no, this is like, I can feel this energy with me helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My grandmother, Dorothy, is who I feel most of the time. Um, and I was with her when she transitioned yeah. and felt her immediately like show up in this um, expansive way. And she's present with me all the time. And I've just started, well, let's say it's been about eight months working with my great grandmother, Angie, in a, in a different way um, and calling her in and her stories because I didn't know much about 
about her. I met her, but I didn't know much about her. So she's, she's been showing up as well. So I love how you spoke about in a tangible way, like you can, you know, they're present and helping you in this specific way, or they need help in this way. Exactly. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. a hard thing. It's, it's a hard thing for us to offer help back. Yes. You know, but that's part of the work. That's part of the labor, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we're committed to. It's complex. Right. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, you know, when people die, it doesn't mean that like everything becomes great. It's, you know, it's, it's a continuation of, of everyone working through. Mm-hmm. You know, just the karma, the trauma, the hurt, you know, because that's, that's what family is, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not just the living, it's the dead that we're in a relationship to. Right. Yes. And so much of that is, I mean, we're responding to that in real time yeah. Yeah. in the way things are unfolding exactly. right now. Exactly. Yeah. So. And, you know, I... Just to say, I had this um, vision last year at the beginning of the pandemic where the ancestors, my ancestors were like, we're all, we're here to help. Mm-hmm. And that was the message they wanted me to, to kind of get out there. It's like, our ancestors are here to help. You know, they're lining up, they're like organizing, they're trying to like support us through the shifts, you know, but we have to rely on them. Mm-hmm. I'm glad your your ancestors are with us and mine too and yes. other ancestors as well. And I'm wondering if there's anything else you want to, you've shared so much, but anything else you want to share to make this time feel complete? Yeah. Um, I just, you know, so many, so many of us are just really scared or really anxious. Mm-hmm. about the future and I think rightfully so I think we I think that's very natural but like I just this is a time where we're being called to to go deeper to do this really deep internal work mm-hmm. on behalf of the collective and not everyone is going to make it through right this period you know and it doesn't mean that people are going to die it just means that like people just won't be able to do the work for whatever reason, like they're going to choose not to do it. They won't understand it. And we're going to have to leave people behind. That's a big thing that I'm moving through. So like, I'm not going to save everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to save, I want everyone to be happy. Even the people I can't stand, I want to be happy, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's not going to work out like that. And I think we have to allow our hearts to break and we have to grieve that, Yeah. you know, that, that realization Again, like this reality is so complex. It's not black or white. It's very gray, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to allow ourselves to be disappointed and then to move through the disappointment. Right. You know, so, I mean, I would just leave that with everyone, you know, mm-hmm. you know just do, this is a time for labor. So it's work. It's time to, it's, it's, it's a time for faith. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, our faith has to be, paired with work mm-hmm. you know what is faith without labor <laughs> you know and we have to you know the things we have to start believing in things that are liberatory not believing and worshiping things that just keep us circling in the drama 
because it's entertaining, because it's distracting. We have to let go of that and do real work now. And there are so many resources out there. You know, you have so many resources, you know, your books, you know, and your work. My work, countless, I don't want to say countless, but like, <laughs> there's like a lot, a of, lot people, of people. A lot yeah. of people. Like I wish it were countless, but a lot of people are doing really important work right now that's trying to help us, you know, mm-hmm. move through this period. So we just, it's just up to us. You know, I know we're tired. You know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Yeah. You know, but it's okay. My ancestors were exhausted and they survived. Yeah. Rest when you need to rest, and when you can't rest or don't need to rest, work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the motto, and that's the motto from the ancestors. Actually, work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for the work, the Absolutely. laboring, the love, the care, the holding the world, and and being on the ground too, right? Yeah. Um, and for love and rage and all of your offerings. And so I want everyone to read love and rage and do the work. Um, and of course I'll put your information in the show notes uh, for folks to connect with you. Thank you so much Absolutely. for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So as you all may know, I have a new book out. Finding Refuge, Heart, Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021, and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends.